Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. It was just the most massive thing I've ever seen. I, to tell you the honest truth, I thought, well, we're the only ones left on this planet. Something's happened. We've missed something here. The fear that went in me when I seen it was just, um, like the feeling, I'd say it was fear, but I've never felt that feeling before in my entire life. It's a weird feeling, like you can't explain it when you don't know. You feel like you're being followed, but you don't know what it is. We had two to our right, another one in front of us, another one to the left, and another one just across the road, shaking the daylight out of the tree. All we get is a big red eye. I remember waking up and looking at the end of the bed and there was a figure there, almost insect-like, and then I blacked out. Welcome to the show, everyone. My name is Cade Moyer, and you are listening to the Believe Paranormal and UFO Podcast. If you have had an encounter and would like to share it, please get in touch with me. My email address is believepod at gmail.com. If you enjoy the podcast, be sure to leave us a rating or review wherever you listen and head on over to our website, believepod.com, and consider becoming a member to get bonus episodes and video content. Tonight, I'm joined by Grant Levac, and Grant is actually a returning guest to the podcast. Grant appeared on one of our live shows. So if you don't know what our live shows are, we do those uh, twice a month on our Facebook and YouTube pages. So if you don't like those, make sure you head over there. Uh, But essentially, I want to get Grant on because Grant is basically one of my go-to guys on the internet to find out about what's really happening in the world of UFOs. And the great thing about Grant is that he is a true blue Aussie. He is located here and he actually busts his ass to get as much information out into the public. And he asks some really good and really tough questions like this guy is the bulldog in the fight. He is not scared of <laughs> anyone uh, and, he, and he's not really scared of um, the no response from, from people. You know, he kind of goes out of his way to ask those difficult questions. And for me, that like really gets a lot of uh, credence from me because I think that's the best thing you can do. So um, I, I want to get him on and I've got him on tonight to kind of talk about the, the recent happenings of UFOs uh I guess, news in the world, but also what goes on in Australia, because Australia seems to be one of these, I guess, countries that kind of gets forgotten about in the world of UFOs. And, you know, we have one of the world's best reporters and in Australia, Ross Goulthard, kind of leading the UFO flag um, for disclosure. And we seem to be one of the most quiet countries about UFO disclosure in the entire world, which is just... Uh, it's so puzzling. So, Grant, welcome back to the podcast, mate. It's good to be with you, Kay. Thanks for having me back on. It's uh, it's great to be able to 
share some some insights with your uh, with your audience again. So, so thanks for having me, mate. It's always a pleasure to to chat yeah. with you. And uh, I I'm not kind of like trying to fluff you up or anything, but that's the genuine truth of everything I said there. Like, I I think you really do a fantastic job because you do you take it to absolutely everybody that you want to find out any information about. You just go straight in. Yeah, I appreciate that. I mean, I I, I guess that um that that you know curiosity in me and and you know the drive to always push for answers that remain um you know to questions that get passed over by you know people in government or department of defense it's uh it's it's my driving force to you know get answers to questions that i find interesting and and uh i take seriously and and i think a lot of other people do as well yeah, absolutely. And you're you're one of these guys who is like also boots on the ground, you know, you're not just a, a keyboard kind of warrior in the sense of trying to find out all the information that way. You actually go out and you, you kind of talk to the people because, you know, you just recently did like a, a I would say not a mini doco, but you did a proper doco on, on Westall and, you know, you went there for their, their anniversary and kind of chatted to people and, and really got some good, good conversations out of that. Yeah, look, it was it was great, and, and you know, credit to to Shane Ryan, who's been the lead researcher on Westall for for many many years. Uh, I connected with him, and he told me about this this annual uh, reunion event that the the Westall witnesses have, and obviously throughout COVID, it kind of put it on a hiatus. But um, there was one scheduled for uh, April of this year, and and living in Melbourne now, I'm originally from Sydney, but living in Melbourne, I thought, oh, I've you know, I've, I've always been interested to learn. A lot more about Westall because I didn't really know a whole lot other than the, just the bare bones basics, and uh, so I um, uh, I went out there on the day of the reunion event and uh, met. There was probably uh, it was a relatively small number of primary witnesses, and uh, introduced myself, told them who I am and and what you know uh, what I've been doing to date on the topic, and uh, and asked them if they would be happy to um, to go on camera with any questions that I wanted to throw the way and they were really really gracious and generous of their time you know i wanted to uh i wanted to capture them sharing their recollections and recounting their you know their memories of that day the 6th of april 1966 in a long form unedited fashion so i ended up putting out a a documentary that was probably about just shy of 90 minutes i think an hour and 15 or an hour and 10 i can't quite remember but um you know capturing just uh a lot of um, commentary and testimony from these witnesses uh, to to questions that I had. So it was um, it's such a fascinating event that Westall is, and it's so frustrating because fifty seven years later, there's still no official explanation or any your government record as to what Westall was or what Westall wasn't. And uh, I know there were a lot of good folks like Shane Ryan and Bill Chalker and Keith Basterfield done a lot of work on trying to find answers through Freedom of Information Act and National Archives in Australia and. Uh, it's just a, one of those unresolved cold cases of this modern era. It's, it's still still a mystery. Yeah, it's something that I'm absolutely fascinated with. And I, I'm so tempted to go down the rabbit hole and just do almost like a micro little doco on the on the whole thing, but do it in a podcast form and kind of just really, really break it down. And, you know, maybe do like five or six episodes on it, but... I know once I go down that rabbit hole, they're, they're so hard to come out yeah. of. So, <laughs> I totally agree with you. And, and, and Westall is, is exactly that. There are so many rabbit holes. And, and so I, I deliberately, um, I made a deliberate choice to just stay focused on um, 
the the the, the story or the the uh, recollections of these select small number of witnesses that I interviewed on the day, um, you know, because there was several hundred children that saw something on the 6th of April 1966 and a few school teachers as well uh, and and other people of the general public as well. And so I, I just focused on the, the recollections of these very small number of primary witnesses and kept the uh, kept the the focus of the documentary kind of aligned to to their uh, recollections only. But yeah, to your point, there are just so many other rabbit holes you can run down on on the Westall uh, incident. It's 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 um it's such a fascinating one, and and I think one day I'll I'll probably um pick Shane Ryan's brain again on on other facets of it that I'm keen to explore. So yeah, yeah, no, and and hats off to you, mate, because it it is it's really difficult to you want to chase that you want to chase that road wherever it goes and you know you you've got to put a point to it and you know for you i think you did a, a an excellent job um i appreciate that thanks oh mate no worries at all you know credit where credit's due when it comes to to this type of thing because you know there's there's not a huge amount of guys out there kind of doing what you do and i i, I genuinely believe like when someone does a good job about this stuff you got to let them know because i not that you you want or need that type of like uplift to keep doing what you're doing, but it lets you know that you're doing the right thing. I think. Yeah, and look, you know the the positive feedback that I've received from from other folks that have um, you know it was, it was really uh, wonderful to receive you know some positive feedback from from Shane Ryan because I really respect the work that he's done on the Westall incident, and just other folks that have watched the documentary and, and uh, really you know value the content and hearing from the witnesses directly and giving them an opportunity to to speak in a long form format so um yeah it is really um you know it's nice to hear those positive comments and it does you know provide some motivation inspiration to kind of keep going and and explore other topics as well so um you know that's not just obviously on the Westall side but my kind of driving force to date which is to better understand australia's involvement or rather the lack thereof uh, in in the the UAP topic, so it's, it's it's always nice to know there are people out there that um, that value the work that I've been doing and trying to chase down answers to questions that 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 I'm interested to um, pursue. Yeah, and I guess that's really the whole point I've got you on tonight is to kind of talk about uh, you know Australia's response to what this UFO phenomenon is because you know like I said in the intro there, Australia seems to be you know, three or four steps behind absolutely everyone else, um, apart from maybe Mexico, um, with the the disaster of their conquests that kind of went on there. And I, I want I need to get your your opinion on like what happened there because my my goodness, in, those, in Mexico, those yeah. things were those things that they, they're not aliens. Like they they can't be from what I've everything yeah. I've learned about them. Um, my gosh, just. A, a total disaster in motion. Well, it was certainly unexpected. I don't think anyone saw that coming other than those that, you know, maybe knew that it was planned. Uh, and, I mean, the one thing that was unfortunate about the the Mexico um, conference or congressional event was that it, it wasn't readily available in uh, translation, translated form. So you kind of had to um, either use a translation service or there are a couple of podcasts that were maybe translating sections of it so i i didn't have a chance to uh, you know watch it in its entirety because not the whole you know i didn't find 
anyone that had um, provided an entire translation of the whole event. But I was very, very interested to hear from Dr. Avi, uh, you know, Professor Avi Loeb uh, and and Ryan Graves. You yep. know, he was there in, in person. So um, it was just when I first heard about the, the Mexican uh, conference or congressional event and that um, it popped up that um, Jaime Musan was involved in the the preparation of it or he was one of the, the driving forces behind it. It kind of raised a red flag for me because, you know, he, he has a bit of a checkered past in in pushing um, questionable, um, you know, footage and yeah. documentation. And, uh, you know, there have been some um, hoaxes that have been easily identified that he's been a part of. So that when I... When I kind of dis- discovered that and, and hearing from folks on social media, it kind of raised a bit of an alarm bell for me. And uh, it was just unfortunate that, you know, Ryan Graves, who I have really uh, the greatest of respect for, I think his intentions were were genuine and he wanted to go along and highlight to, you know, uh, the Mexican delegation, you know, really hit home that UAP uh, is... Uh, a, a real clear and present danger in terms of safety of flight and the work that he's doing with several others for the um, the Americans for safer aerospace uh, I think is a really great initiative and you know I, I applauded him for his efforts to kind of elevate the conversation on that front in in front of the um, the Mexican uh, delegation but then you know to have kind of a, a stunt like that pulled at the very end where these, your know, purported uh, bodies were pulled out on stage uh, and paraded around the stage in front of the world. I just cringed and thought, oh, I mean, you know, it's uh, number one, I don't think that's the, the appropriate forum to reveal something of that nature to the world. I mean, yeah. if, if you've got if you've got evidence like that, well, all right, show us the peer reviewed analysis and the peer reviewed science first before you then go out and you have a press conference or something that's you know going to reach uh, a, a mass audience. So I, I think the way that they went about it was um, I don't think it it helped. Um, you know we've worked so hard to break down the walls of stigma and ridicule on this topic, and I think for a lot of folks it just put those walls straight back up because a lot of people saw it as oh this is just so ridiculous, and uh, you know I think. The way in which it was done did not help the conversation and, and did not help the topic. Um, I still think there is value in, you know, okay, if they're saying that they've done analysis and they've done, you know, scientific uh, uh, examination of, you know, the bodies and analyzed the bone composition and structures, great, get all that information peer-reviewed and then come back to the scientific and academic community and the general public and produce your findings but to my knowledge, there's no peer-reviewed analysis that's been conducted at this point. So. No, no, not at all. And the the only other kind of review of these these bodies that I saw were done by the same gentleman who originally presented them. So, and mm-hmm. again, it was very theatrical how they went about it. You know, they they basically had like twenty uh, professionals basically crowded around a, an MRI machine and was you know is an echo chamber and that does no favors for for what this is you know and i totally agree with you you know i really feel like you know everything that really just happened in the in the u.s congress where we had three gentlemen come forward go under oath 
willing to put their literally their lives essentially on the line for for the truth that they know and this happens it's it's uh, like not to go down a conspiracy route but my gosh it's it's almost like it was a planned action to go back a couple of steps to kind of unwind everything that's kind of just been done yeah i don't know if it was kind of the one-upmanship mentality from uh those behind the mexican event but um yeah, I really found the the House Oversight Committee hearing on on UAP. Uh, I mean, it didn't really for for us that follow this topic and we we're well invested in it and we research it. It didn't really really reveal anything new for us. There was pretty much it was stuff that we were aware of or had heard before. But I think for the greater uh, public, for the general populace, uh, I mean, it was a historic event. It's the first time that you've got you know two witnesses and a whistleblower in the in the chair. Uh, not getting grilled necessarily, but getting asked questions uh, from both sides of the aisle in a very bipartisan manner. And uh, it, there was just some truly fascinating things being, uh, you know, discussed in the open forum. I mean, I really, I really um, applaud the, the testimony of Ryan Graves and commend David Fravor because I really think they hit home uh, the, you know, the, the nail on the coffin that, look, this is... This is a national security threat and safety of flight risk. If we as aviators, uh, if we can't defend ourselves in that, I mean, Commander Fravor has been the classic example. He was asked questions by Representative Ogles. Um, if you had to, if if the Tic Tac uh, became hostile, and if you had to defend yourself and your and your fighter jet, your asset, would you have been able to do so? And he said no. And you know, it, it, he he hit home that this is a real clear and present national security threat and safety of flight risk so for me that's the kind of approach that i've been pursuing in australia is getting the australian government to take this seriously as a national security threat and safety of flight risk um i don't think australia is even ready to kind of entertain the testimony of david grush at this point in time but you know his testimony was truly fascinating as well and he was asked some really good questions uh particularly aoc you know asked him um if you could tell us one thing or where to go or who to ask, what, you know, what would you what would you say? And and David Grush was able to say, look, I'd be happy to provide you with with that information in a closed in closed session, um, you know, behind closed doors. And yeah, he could he could happily provide uh, lists of cooperative and hostile witnesses uh, with respect to crash retrieval, you know, alleged crash retrieval programs. So you know his. His testimony was a, a testimony from all three of them. I found to be incredibly compelling, and uh, you know, my hat goes off to David Grush's really being a champion for other whistleblowers out there that are maybe have been reluctant to come forward because they're fearful of reprisals or you know uh, being you know ostracized or put into a position where they're ridiculed. And you know, we've seen some attempts uh, to discredit David Grush, obviously since he came out with his. Uh, testimony at that hearing but you know credit to him I think he's really done a great job to to lead the charge and 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 say to other folks that have information um you know come forward uh you know I'll be a, a voice for you if you don't want to come forward and hopefully it does encourage and inspire other folks to come forward over time because if you you know look at the reporting uh from folks like Michael Schellenberger and, and even David Grush at the the hearing saying that over a period of, uh, I think it was four years, he interviewed 40, 40 witnesses that had direct knowledge uh, of uh, you know, a crash retrieval program 
a reverse engineering program. So, you know, if if any of those uh, primary witnesses were to come forward, many of them have gone already and provided protected disclosures to the um, the ICIG, the Intelligence Community Inspector General. Uh, so if he can encourage and inspire other folks to come forward and reveal what they know in a, in a protected environment, um, I think that move, helps move the conversation forward and, and adds you know, more uh, credibility to, to David Grush's claims as well. Yeah, absolutely. And it's depending on the voices that you kind of follow on the internet who are highly influential, uh, there's all reports that, you know, there's 10, 20, 30, 40 people all ready to go forward who have already spoken to AARO about their, their yep. experiences mm-hmm. within this. So, you know, the I think the next year of kind of UFO disclosure uh, can be rather interesting because depending on how much the government want to let out on this, because, you know, with with anything like this, there's, there's a, the pro side, the con side of it. And we know quite heavily that they they really are going to trying to shut this this down as much as they can um and if that happens we're going to see some tremendous leaks like these these floodgates are they're open and it's going to get out one way or another and i really think that the you know any government any worldwide kind of government here really needs to try be on the right side of of history on the right side of disclosure because you don't want this to to kind of just be this crazy sense of mayhem in the world for for people who aren't us who don't know about this type of stuff and if that whole world comes crashing down that hey aliens are real they've been here for x amount of years they're doing x things and they're all they're not all nice you know that's that's gonna rock a lot of people's <laughs> worlds yeah and you know and ross always says the ontological shock that comes with um the disclosure or confirmation of there being a non-human intelligence that has perhaps interacted with this planet. But, I mean, even if you look at the historic legislation that's been proposed in a bipartisan fashion in the U.S., you've got you know, the one of those powerful people in the U.S. Um, Congress in, in politics. You've got uh, Chuck Schumer, who is um, leading the charge on this historic legislation for a, a UAP Disclosure Act to be, uh, to be implemented, which would require the president... Uh, you know, typically the National De- Defense Authorization Act gets signed at, towards the end of each year. You know, Biden has signed the last few in December. Uh, and, you know, that would require him, the president, to nominate um, a UAP disclosure re- a review board that's modeled after the JFK assassinations records, you know, act or whatever it was called. Um, and they would be charged with reviewing all UAP-related information, uh, deciding uh, if it should continue to be withheld from the general public due to any national security uh, implications. Uh, But if there are none, then that information has to be disclosed to the general public. Now, a lot of people have said, well, there are potential challenges around that. I mean, you look at, you know, the JFK assassination was, what, 1963, and how many years have passed and there are still several thousands of documents that have not yet been disclosed uh, for who knows what reason. If it's national security, fair enough. If not, why haven't those documents been disclosed? So it presents its own sets of challenges with a uh, a UAP Disclosure Act that's model off the JFK Records you know, Assassinated Records Act. Uh, but at least I think it's a, a step in the right direction that's going to push the ball uh, down the road even further with respect to getting 
more information in front of the general public because that's what we've been wanting uh, for so long. And we've, we've still only seen some pretty crappy videos come out of the Pentagon with respect to, you know, to UAP. I mean, credit to Jeremy Corbell, uh, irrespective of what people think of him. There are obviously people uh, that are current and former members of the um, services that feel like they can trust him with yeah. their information, so they'll re- reveal information to him. And he's been able to uh, push out information that the Pentagon has said, yes, this is actually, uh, we can verify this as, um, as, as uh, legitimate footage or imagery. So there's people that obviously entrust Jeremy Corbell with their information uh, to put it out there. But, you know, we haven't seen a whole lot come from the Pentagon or, or the now all-domain anomaly resolution office. There's only been dribs and drabs of information that have come from ARA that haven't been all that uh, interesting. Uh, so, you know, with now ARA has finally got its public-facing website up and running, uh, and they're, you know, reiterating that their plan is to, you know, publish, uh, you know, their cases when they're able to resolve what they are. You know, hopefully we'll see more visual footage uh, added to their website over time that, you know, the general public can review. But, um, you know, I think things like legislation like the UAP Disclosure Act just helps move the ball down the road a little bit quicker than than uh, than decades past. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's uh, a lot of people in our in our kind of niche in our circle have known what we've known for so long and for them it, it feels like very like a very slow crawl to it, to where we're going, but if we if we look at UFO history over the last 50 years, my god, how far we've come in just oh, yeah. in, in in the last couple of years to to the yeah. to decades before that, you know, like if we if we're looking at a at a curve here, we've gone from just really flat to to peaking, and that's going yep. to to get exciting in in the next couple of years. And you know, whatever that excitement level that may be, uh, be that a government supplied level of excitement or or leaks, I think it's going to to be very telling. Um, but I am rather interested to to talk to you about kind of Australia's response to this because um, you know, you, you are kind of like a, a a fighter for truth when it comes to like UFO disclosure. Uh very much so within Australia. And um Australia technically kind of has a a genuine invested interest on paper. UFOs with the the Five Eyes initiative. And now a quick word from our sponsor. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Also, are you wanting more content? Why not become a Believe Plus member? You'll get access to exclusive podcasts and episodes that aren't available to the public. Not only that, you'll also get our regular feed without any ads. Head to believepod.com forward slash plus to sign up today for just $5 a month. 
Yeah, and, and what a lot of people may not know is that Australia has almost as long of, long of a history uh, investigating the UAP topic as the United States does. You know, the Royal Australian Air Force and then Department of Supply were charged with investigating UAP or what they referred to back in the day as unusual aerial sightings, UAS, uh, back in the early 50s. So, you know, not many years after Roswell of 1947, you had uh, Australia taking the, the UAP topic seriously, and that all came to a uh, a, a, a halt um, in 1996 when the Royal Australian Air Force, um, you know, closed its doors on investigating UAP because they could not apparently find any compelling or other scientific reason to continue to devote resources to the invest- investigation of UAP. Now, fast forward to 2023 and look how different the world is now compared to 1996. And I just don't understand why the Australian Department of Defence and Royal Australian Air Force has got its head buried in the sand um, all these decades after 1996. Uh, you know, they, they haven't investigated the topic for, for close to 30 years. They're telling us they haven't uh, been in, they haven't engaged uh, in discussions or briefings with the US on UAP. They haven't been privy to any of the classified data housed within the classified reports provided to members of US Congress. Uh, and they're saying, move along, folks, there's nothing to see here. There, there's no appetite whatsoever from the Australian Department of Defence, Royal Australian Air Force. There's no Number one, there's no acknowledgement that there is a UAP topic, and, and two, there is no appetite from them to formally review their long-held position on UAP that, you know, move along, folks, there's nothing to see here. And, and like you said, you know, if you look at, if you were to plot everything out, all the key milestones... Um, just from 2017, you know, the December New York Times articles, how many key milestone events would you have on a timeline just in the last, you know, five, six years? I mean, there's been such a flurry of activity in, in the last five, six years that it's, it's, it's almost hard to, to keep up with. But the Australian uh, government is just still got its head completely buried in the sand uh, on this topic. And, and to your point... Australia is part of what's called the Five Eyes Intelligence Alliance. So it's made up of the United States, Canada, the UK, Australia, and New Zealand. And they're charged with essentially sharing what's called signals intelligence. Um, you know, information data, uh, your radar information, uh, intelligence that can help, um, you know, uh, mitigate vulnerabilities uh, and, you know, maximize uh, strengths in terms of preparing for uh, or understanding what our foreign adversaries uh, know, what they don't know, what they're working on. So it's it's kind of, yeah, there's been this long history across the five eyes of sharing data and intelligence on, uh, on, on uh, topics that are defense related, that are going to help protect each five eyes member country. And so uh, of the 31st of May of this year, you had the director of the Old Domain Anomaly Resolution Office, Dr. Sean Kirkpatrick, uh, revealed to the world during NASA's public meeting, they had an update meeting with the UAP independent study team, uh, Dr. Sean Kirkpatrick revealed to the world that he had just held his very first Five Eyes Forum, a meeting uh, on UAP. Uh, so he actually specifically referred to it as a Five Eyes Forum, which you would, you know, you would think that that includes the United States, Canada, uh, UK, Australia, and New Zealand. 
And so uh, a lot of people have been trying to find out as much information as they, as they can since that revelation as to, well, which member countries were represented and, and who represented them. And so some of the great work that uh, Daniel Otis, a reporter out of Canada, has done, he was able to verify that the Canadian Armed Forces uh, were represented at that Five Eyes Forum on, on UAP. Uh, Defence Scoop did some great reporting and was able to verify that the New Zealand Defence Force had a representative based in Washington, D.C. that attended that Five Eyes Forum. And I've been able to independently verify that information only uh, really just yesterday, uh, a UAP activist in New Zealand shared with me some official correspondence they received from uh, the New Zealand Defence Force and Minister of Defence in New Zealand that that corroborated that information that what Defence Scoop had reported back in June. Uh, but then you have the UK that's been completely mum and silent on any potential attendance or participation that it had on the Five Eyes Forum. Uh, so I've been trying to chase down, uh, well, what's Australia's participation or involvement been in that Five Eyes Forum. So I was able to secure confirmation from the Royal Australian Air Force that it did not attend the Five Eyes Forum on UAP. And then you have Senator Wish Wilson, who is the only senator that's really taken this topic seriously and and asked pertinent questions in uh, Parliament, you know, pressing those in defence leadership on what is Australia doing about UAP? Should we not be taking this topic more seriously because our US ally and five vice partner is? And so um, he submitted some questions on notice, uh, which is essentially for your audience that don't know, Senator Wish Wilson is a participating member of what's called the Senate Estimates. It's kind of a, uh, he's on the Committee for Defense. Uh, it's a, a hearing essentially where senators scrutinize, you know, um, where taxpayer dollars go to make sure that, you know, taxpayer money is being properly, uh, you know, invested in programs that are of value, that provide a return on investment for Australia, that are of benefit to Australia and the Australian taxpayer. And he wasn't able to attend the May, there was a set of estimates hearing in May. He wasn't able to attend that due to competing priorities in his home state of Tasmania. So he submitted what's called questions on notice. Uh, you know, he wasn't at the hearing so he submitted some questions that he had in writing to the Department of Defense. And one of the questions that he asked, and I'll read it for your audience so I, I don't get the uh, the wording wrong, but the question that he was asked is, um, did Australia attend the recent Five Eyes meeting held in May 2023? If so, did it attend the US briefing on UAPs? And the Australian Department of Defense, uh, he asked that question uh, in June, so a little after the, the May Senate estimates, and on the 19th of July... The Australian Department of Defence responded to that question saying, Australia did not attend a United States briefing on UAPs. Number one, why the hell not? And number two, well, why was it called a Five Eyes Forum, a Five Eyes meeting on UAPs, if not all Five Eyes member countries are represented? So you either have Dr. Sean Kirkpatrick not being entirely um, accurate or truthful in him positioning this forum as a Five Eyes Forum, yeah, if it was only four of the Five Eyes there or three of the Five Eyes member countries, it wasn't a Five Eyes forum. Or you have Australia uh, making this broad brushstroke admission that, and I, I'm, this is where it's ambiguous, they use the word Australia. So if you take what they said uh, as it's written, Australia did not attend a United States briefing on UAPs, you would take that statement to mean all of Australia. Australia was not represented at that meeting. 
Well, is that statement representative of just the Department of Defense's position that the defense did not attend a, a United States briefing on UAPs or no one from Australia? Because you've got the intelligence community as well that may quite possibly have been represented at that briefing, but we don't know about it. Uh, so hope that's one of the questions that hopefully Senator Wish Wilson presses defense leadership on later this month when there's a, a another Senate estimates hearing scheduled for 25th and 26th of October, where he can seek greater clarity on that uh, on that response. If Australia did not attend that Five Eyes meeting, one, why not? Were we invited to attend? If so, did we not accept the invitation? If so, why did you not accept the invitation? So there are a lot, whole lot of questions that um, you know need uh, we need some answers on, so we can get greater clarity as to uh, you know why uh, w- what Australia's involvement uh, is in the UAP topic. Because unfortunately, to date, um, it's been very much you know ignorance is bliss. The Australian Department of Defence and Royal Australian Air Force are just completely ignoring this topic, and um, when. Our Five Eyes ally and U.S., um, you know, our U.S. ally Five Eyes partner and AUKUS partner has stated uh, and reiterated, I should say, time and time again over the last two plus years that UAP represent a clear and present national security threat and safety of flight risk, then that's something that Australia should be taking notice of. Because only in February of this year, you had the Chinese spy balloon and three identified unidentified aerial objects that the U.S. Air Force shot down. And you had the Royal Australia Air Force uh, Chief of Air Force Air Marshal Robert Chipman telling Senator Wish Wilson and Senator Smith that, yeah, we sought information from the US on the Chinese spy balloon and those three objects because we wanted to understand what their source was, their identity, understand if we could, uh, yeah, if there were any learnings that we could uh, we could gain from the US's response to those shoot down events. They'll happily seek information on those events, which represented a national security safety fly risk. But they won't touch UAP, which represent the same national security threat and safety of flight risk. So there's this big double standard that's being played uh, by the Australian Department of Defence. And and that's where I'm hoping Senator Wish Wilson will press quite hard to get some um, get some greater clarity on. I know that's an extremely long-winded answer, but hopefully that kind of gives you a paints a bit of a picture for you as to uh, as to where we're we're pretty much currently at. No, Matt, it's the perfect answer. And I think it really will catch a, a lot of people up in Australia, kind of where our government is sitting with this whole UFO topic, because, you know, it really seems like it's, and this is for all the um, the non-Australian Australian listeners, like this is a, a bit of a slang kind of term, but it's almost like a she'll be right kind of yep. mentality oh, should about be right, it. Mate. Should be right. Yeah. You know, don't worry about the UFOs. Like, that's that's nothing. Like, it doesn't mean anything. Um, you know, that's... Move along, folks. Yeah, nothing to see here. It's yeah, a, exactly. It's a US thing. You know, the other blokes will take care of that. You know, we're, we're fine. Which is the complete opposite because I've spoken to multiple pilots here in Australia who have seen UFOs while flying passenger airlines. That is a major, major concern. A hundred percent. And, you know, it's not just, unfortunately, CASA, which is the Civil Aviation Safety Authority, along with Air Services Australia, they don't have at present any reporting protocols whatsoever for UAP. So if there is a UAP that is uh, picked up by air traffic control, they're not obligated to report it because they don't have any reporting mechanisms. What would happen to the report if it is submitted? It doesn't go anywhere. So you've got Australia has no reporting mechanisms in place. The Royal Australian Air Force 
and Australia Department of Defence's current position is if you see a UAP, whether you're a member of the general public or the armed services, call the cops. The yeah. cops will look after you. That's that's basically what they're saying. The, you know, call your local law enforcement or reach out to a civilian UFO organisation like you know MUFON or other organisations that are out in Australia. And and of you know they um, credit to MUFON and other organisations. They do great work, but often many of them are under resourced. They don't have the capabilities that uh, should be in place to have some sensible see something, say something reporting mechanism. Yeah, absolutely. And it's incredibly, incredibly frustrating. Oh, and the, and the other thing is, like, they don't really have the authority to make any uh, decisions to to actually change legislation or anything like that about how this stuff should be should be treated. Because exactly these, these guys. And look to your point too. You you said that you've got some you know commercial pilots that have come forward to you. I mean, I, I had. Uh, I had Ross Coulthard and uh, and a couple others on my my channel, the, the Unexplained Rundown, only recently, and and Ross, you know, stated that he's had, uh, you know, defence personnel come to him, uh, you know, and share their uh, accounts of, uh, you know, UAP that they've observed and have not felt comfortable to report to their superiors, uh, in fear of you know having a blemish, you know placed on their flight record, you know, yeah. out of fear of reprisals. So, yeah. you know, you have the Royal Australian Air Force, the Air Marshal, Chief of Air Force, Air Marshal Robert Chipman, saying instead of saying instead of estimates that, oh, yes, we have, you know, RAF has a very strong reporting culture and encourages pilots to come forward when they, you know, they, they have uh, safety of flight or airworthiness issues. Well, that's complete BS because you've got reports, uh, defence personnel contacting an Australian journalist saying that they don't feel comfortable to come forward because they're not going to be taken seriously or they're going to have uh, a, a black dot placed against their uh, their, their report card. So th- that's why I think you know folks like Senator Wish Wilson uh, and and others need to follow uh, you know thank God he's follow- he's taking the charge on this but others need to follow his lead because he's got many many other issues that his constituents are, uh, are, are concerned about. Uh, so UAP is not the only thing that Senator Wish Wilson is focusing on. And the more senators and members of parliament that can follow his lead and take the topic seriously and ask these sorts of questions of those that we elect into positions of uh, leadership and authority and those in defence leadership, uh, it might just help move the needle on, on the topic within the government. Yeah, it's it's really is a, a shocking state of affairs where Australia kind of stands with this. And, you know, the the fact that we could jump on an airline tomorrow and, and have a, an extremely close life-threatening encounter with something in the skies and for that to just be nothing, reported to no one, just disappears to history and the, the handful of people who had, you know, potentially a shocking moment there is is just disgusting in general. In, yeah. in my opinion, because- I agree. It's uh, and and I feel for, I feel for you know I, I have the greatest of respect to the you know the brave men and women of the Royal Australian Air Force and and that work in the the Australian Defence Force, the services. But I'm very critical of those that are in in, in positions of leadership within defence because I almost feel like there is a degree of um, there's there's a disservice that's being placed on the brave men and women of the the um def- the Australian Defence Force in Australia. Because they're not being um, afforded sensible, see something, say something reporting mechanisms. So it, it almost begs the question, you know, is the Australian Department of Defence and Royal Australian Air Force breaching its duty of care by not uh, looking out for its pilots and aviators uh, who are encountering these things that they can't readily reconcile or, 
or um, identify in the skies that could potentially become a safety or flight risk. I mean, it was only in the in the um, the House Oversight Committee uh, hearing on UAP back in July that you know they're now telling us that you know U.S. Uh, pilots and aviators have had, had up to fourteen near misses, uh, fourteen incidents of near misses with UAP, and you know the fact that you have no reporting mechanisms here in Australia. Who knows how many incidents there are of near misses or um, you know potential safety of flight incidents because it's not being reported. There's 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 no one to report those things to. And why would you want to report it if you're a, a civil uh, you know, if you're a, if you're a commercial aviator or you're a pilot? Because there's this fear of stigma and ridicule that's still uh, associated with it. Oh, so, absolutely. You know, absolutely. Kind of- and that's the thing. Like I I got a response from one of these guys. And he basically said, no, we, we, we can't report it. I don't want to report it. I don't want to lose my job. I don't want to look like I'm the crazy. It's it's something that will genuinely ruin their lives if they come yeah. forward with this stuff. And that's just so, it's just so disappointing. So it's, it's and, and sadly, Australia is, you know, I would say a decade at least or a decade or two behind the United States. You know, this is exactly what the US went through. Yeah. Uh, they they implemented the Pentagon to their credit implemented these sensible see something say something reporting mechanisms to reduce the stigma associated with reporting UAP. Now pilots are obligated to report instances of UAP. Now there's still stigma and ridicule and fear of reprisal associated with it, but I think you're starting to get this influx of all these new reports. The case numbers are going up significantly because more and more pilots and aviators are starting to report stuff and. Yeah, Ryan Graves at the the hearing, uh, the the UAP hearing, House Oversight Committee hearing. Yeah, he stated, you know, his personal belief anecdotally that you're still only getting about five percent of uh, of of people report. So ninety five percent of UAP uh, encounters and sightings are still going unreported. But the fact that you have a small number that are now reporting, you've got RO has got this influx of more than eight hundred cases that they're now. Um, having to um, identify and resolve, uh, but Australia is at a big fat zero. You know, we don't have any reporting mechanisms in place, and there is nothing. There is no encouragement given to given to uh, defence personnel, pilots, and aviators to report something that they can't identify in the sky, particularly if it it uh, it, it presents a safety of flight risk. And and that's a real concern, not just for uh, the brave men and women in the armed services, but for uh, Australia's domain awareness. You know, we have a huge domain awareness gap at the moment. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, we we can literally be not not in the sense of invader, but we can be approached by any direction and not have anything for this. And and that's that's a really scary thought at the at the end of the day, you know, not to not to put in the the mind of invasion or anything like that in anyone's minds, but it it's something that people I think should be aware of. When it comes to this situation, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, if you were to, you know, if, if we were to have, um, you know, the those the Chinese spy balloon and those three unidentified aerial objects happen in Australian airspace, I can tell you the response from the Australian Department of Defence and Royal Australian Air Force would be very, very different than what they're saying publicly. But I mean, one of the shootdowns, you know, the the Dead Horse Alaska uh, incident is still got a lot of questions about it. I know Ross is doing. Oh some, yeah some good work trying to get it to the bottom of what that uh, event was because there are indications that it may have been a truly anomalous object yep. that was um, something shot solid at came or, down 
shot that, yeah, shot. And so if that, if something of that nature was to happen uh, in Australian airspace, what's the, what are we going to just call the cops if you see that happen <laughs> above your farm or, you know, wherever you happen to be living? And that's, that's how, I mean, it's a, it's a completely inadequate and untenable position, I think, that the Australian Department of Defence and RAF is currently, um, you know, holding on to as strongly as it ha- as it can. It's it's its head has just been buried in the sand for too long, and it needs to really get off its ass and take take this topic seriously. Yeah, absolutely, I completely agree. And I think everyone listening to this podcast, if you know they weren't aware of what the situation was, would uh, definitely be kind of siding with us there, Grant. But Mate, this is a this is a lovely conversation. It's been so awesome to have you on, mate, because you are you are just this genuine wealth of knowledge when it comes to this, and you can definitely see how passionate you can hear how passionate you are because it's uh someone needs to do it in Australia, and like you you are genuine you're genuinely our dog in the fight for this. And uh, for myself, I'm, I'm so internally grateful because whenever I kind of need an update, I just jump onto your Twitter handle. And, and kind of yeah. get my fix there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I appreciate that. I mean, and, and you know, uh, for a long time um, throughout COVID, at the start of COVID, I was kind of just um, uh, a passive uh, observer. I was just watching uh, what other people were doing uh, to find answers to questions that they had. And, and I've really been fortunate. I've had an opportunity to learn uh, from um, as many folks as I, uh, from, a, from a lot of folks, and I continue to try and learn from as many folks as I can, and have developed these really good relationships with folks like Ross Coulthard, Bill Chalker, Keith Basterfield, John Greenwald Jr. You're learning from them. I mean, I'm standing on the shoulders of giants like those guys, just trying to play my part and now be an active participant in um, securing answers for, not just for my own curiosity, but for others that, uh, you know, other Aussies that I know share the same concerns and, and valid questions that I have. So um, that's why I say it's, it's, always, um, it's always validating and, and it always provides me with um, that motivation, inspiration to keep going when I, I you know, hear those sort of comments of support and, and people that are uh, really appreciative of the, the efforts that I'm putting into to find, a, you know, find uh, out. Uh, as much as we can and, and more information yeah. yeah and you know i really enjoy talking to to people like yourself because i i like to think there's kind of the the two sides of the coin where we've got the the people like yourself who are these genuine and genuinely incredible kind of researchers who are out there you know hunting for the truth and on the other side of the other side of the coin there's people like myself and and you know people who do podcasts like mine who are kind of on the ground and and talking to the people who have had these these experiences and kind of finding out how it affects them and and how it changes their their world view because i think one thing that's kind of overlooked when it comes to the whole ufo phenomenon is that it's it's so emotionally tied to people that these things genuinely change people's lives forever and when these two worlds combine like in a podcast like this one today it's i think it's it's just a it's a superstar outcome for for the world of kind of disclosure however you look at it i 100% agree and and look uh, i think that one of the big failings of the legacy news media is they're not in australia particularly is they're not covering this topic and unfortunately, and one of my big gripes is you've got some of the breakfast shows, and, I'll, and I call them out on purpose, you know, Sunrise. They'll cover the UFO topic, but they'll always play the X-Files theme throughout yeah. every segment. And, and they'll just take the piss uh, at every single turn. 
And so, you know, it, it, it's, a, it's folks like yourself and, and, and me and, and others in Australia that um, are, are doing these podcasts and live streams and asking these questions and having people call in and interviewing folks that are invested in the topic. You know, we're in a position where we're more likely to, uh, we're at the forefront of a lot of this information. So we're more likely to be able to put out information faster than the news media can because they're, they, they're not invested in the topic. They don't follow it uh, and and have the same. Um, they're not exercising their due diligence, uh, unfortunately, at all. Whereas we are, we're asking questions. We're 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 wanting to get you know uh, follow up information where there are you know where there are gaps. So uh, it's my hope that the the news media will take notice uh, and take this topic more seriously. And there have been hints of that, little sparks of that uh, in the last couple of months, but it's still quite. You know, broadly across the the major commercial networks, that they're still just you know treating this as a U.S. problem and not seeing it as a, um, a, a UOP as a global global issue that needs Australian involvement as well. Yeah, absolutely agree with you there, mate. It's uh, it it's a, a situation that affects everyone, and I, I just for me, I don't understand how this isn't the biggest news story every day. Yeah. I, I completely agree. I mean, you know, if we can, you know, the big three three questions that us as a species we have, you know, are we alone in the universe? Um, what happens when you die? And is there a God? And if we can answer one of those three big questions, I think it, it just, it, it inspires so many, um, you know, people to then look up rather than down at their phones and, and take, uh, you know, have have a real hard look at ourselves as a, as a species as humanity and think well you know we're not the uh, as Avi Loeb says we're not the only kid on the block uh, you know if there's if there's other intelligences out there that have been interacting with this planet for millennia not just since 1947 uh, then that's going to um, I think that's going to make us really reassess our our place in the universe and and how we treat and respect one another because. Unfortunately, as 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 capable uh, as we are as a species of creating wonderful things and and uh, can, you know showing love and affection, we, we're also capable of doing some really awful things. And I think that's true with what's happening in the world at the moment. So, if ever there was a time for you know disclosure or confirmation to happen, uh, I think you know now would be a good time because it might just bring bring the the, the people of the world together and and. Uh, and 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 take a hard look at themselves yeah Mm. absolutely absolutely well grant before i let you go mate where can where where can people find you so you know you have the unexplained rundown it's a it's kind of like a show that you you kind of put together where can people find that yeah so um i'm on uh so the unexplained rundown uh i um do on youtube uh if you just uh search for either my name grant levac or the unexplained rundown on YouTube, you'll find the channel. It's also on Spotify, so if you want to listen to the show, uh, if you're a bit more of a, an audio fan, uh, again, search for The Unexplained Rundown on Spotify. Um, I'm heavily engaged on social media, predominantly on, on X or formerly Twitter. So if you just, uh, my handle is just at Grant Levac. So if you just search for Grant Levac in, uh, in, in Twitter, uh, your X, you'll find me. Uh, and that's, they're pretty much the three, the three big platforms. Um, I have a Facebook account and Instagram, but I don't have uh, a ton of engagement on the UAP topic there. So, so most of the time, you'll see me on 
uh, heavily um, uh, engaged in discussions on uh, on X and Twitter. So yeah, yeah feel free to um, to give the show a follow or, or get in touch if you're uh, interested to follow my journey. If you've got questions, absolutely. And what I'll do is I'll I'll leave link to links to all those in the uh, in the oh, show perfect. notes as yep. well because I can yeah, I can better. truly attest. Grant's my go-to guy for UFO news when it comes to, <laughs> to Twitter. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's and I, like we were saying off air at the at the at the front end, you know, it, with everything that's been going on, you know, in the last six to twelve months, it's almost feels like a full-time job to just stay up to date with everything that's going on on the on the topic. So there are, you know, there's a, there's a small number of of folks that I turn to for. Uh, as a source of, of of valuable information, obviously Ross Coulthard is one of them. He does a a great um, podcast vodcast with his partner in crime, Bryce Zabel, on on Need to Know. Uh, and there are a few others out there as well. Obviously, John Greenwald Jr. does some great FOIA work in the US. Uh, Ryan Sprague has a, a a really good somewhere in the uh, live stream, a once a week stream where he kind of recaps, summarizes some of the uh, the key podcasts from the previous week. So, you know, for folks like us that work, work day, you know, full-time day jobs and uh, we've got little ones, three and a half year old, it's, it's hard to keep up to date with and watch all these, this great content that comes out with podcasts and, and live streams. So uh, I often rely on those folks to kind of break it on down for me and give me a sense as to what's going on. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Believe Paranormal and UFO podcast. If you have had an encounter and you would like to share it, please get in touch with me. My email address is believepod at gmail.com. Finally, don't forget to follow us on all our social media outlets and be sure to join our Discord server to talk to other listeners of the show. You'll find all these links in our show notes. Thank you. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. 